So yes, welcome everybody again, second to last class, which means this is the big one. Okay, it's the big one today. I don't know what that means, but it's the big one. <laughs> Just trying to put some pressure on you. You better be able to drop in. <laughs> you better be able to drop in. <clears throat> okay, so we have a bunch of good questions here and I'm gonna see what I can do for them. So first of all, right next week is our last class, then I'm off on a cross-country healing tour and doing all sorts of cool work around the U.S., and I'll be back to do a winter session here. Um, from now until then, see if you can practice on your own. If not, I just started an online meditation class. If you go to sethmonk.com, you can sign up and I'll be making a video and a talk every week so you can still have like a meditation class with me once a week. Plus like all the videos that I've made before that. So I already have about 12 up. So that's an easy way. So sethmonk.com. Seth okay, so that's how you can do it. Um, so your two questions kind of feel similar. So to me about dropping in and energy and things like this. So. When I was a monk, when I was a monk, um, we had an acupuncture clinic and we had Chinese medicine and things like this. And I was trying to understand what that's all about and how that works and different than what I had learned. You know, I went to school for physics first and then switched to fine arts, actually. It's a different story. But, um, you know, so although since I was a kid, I had a lot of different, I would say, like, supernatural experiences like feeling presences and like seeing things move and just weird things that you know I was kind of born knowing there's more going on than I was taught but I didn't really have much of an understanding for it so also things like Chinese medicine acupuncture is something over time I had to learn through also experiencing it myself like oh this is real and it works and trying to understand what that is and my teacher would often talk about moving energy through the body and I mean, energy is something like you can feel, like I have a lot of energy today or I don't have a lot of energy, right? Just in that basic sense. Um, but we actually had a Qigong master come, his name was Chao Ping, he's Chinese, but he lives in um, Vienna, I believe. And he practiced with Shaolin monks for a while and then also practiced Chinese medicine and then also Tai Chi and then Qigong. And so he's like a true master. So he would do a, a Tai Chi set and then show us how every move in Tai Chi, both what, like how it's opening up the body and also how it's an actual applicable fighting move if you were like in a Shaolin fight. So it was this really cool thing where he would do Tai Chi and then show us like, you know, if you're being punched, that's why you do this. And then this does that and it spins so it opens up this to your heart. So it was this really cool kind of lesson showing how all these different forms blended together. <laughs> And after the class, I went up to him and I said, you know, that was really cool. What is chi? And chi is like energy in that word. And he said, oh, you know, chi, it's kind of like this universal force that moves through everything. And I go, okay, but what is it? Like, what is energy? What is it? And he said, well, it's like the macrocosm and the microcosm and how they're kind of like linked and similar. And I was like, but what is it? What is that? And he kind of just eventually was frustrated with me and he goes, go stand on the other side of the room. And I stood <laughs> on the other side of the room and he lifted up his hands like this and I started to feel this tingling through my body. And then he went like that and I felt all the tingling converge and then it pushed me back from the other side of the room. 
And I was like, okay, that's chi. Uh, I still don't know what it is logically, but now I've felt it. And I'm like, okay, there's like, that's a thing. Um, but also, you know, if I walk into a room that people were just like arguing or fighting, you can like feel like a tension in the air. You walk into a room where you feel like people are like having fun, you drop and you're like, oh, this is like a really nice feeling. Or individually with the person, right? You drop in with the person and some people you just feel very comfortable and warm and this nice feeling and some you feel like distant and, right? So also dropping in is kind of about that. When you drop in, it's just becoming present, becoming present with yourself in your environment, right? Just as simple as that, just kind of feeling like what's going on. So when I, for instance, mention like in this group that I feel like a good energy building or I feel a really deep energy or meditative energy, that's almost like we use the word vibe in our culture. Like I feel like, oh, like the vibe of the room. So when we're sitting in meditation, I can feel like a thick, it almost feels like thick and heavy. And I feel this like awakeness and alertness, but a stillness. And I can just feel all of that just in the space around me. I can feel that kind of in the group. You know, and that's connected to the senses. Like I don't hear people scratching and shuffling and moving and, call, you know, I can feel everybody, but it, it goes beyond just what I can hear. I, it's like in my skin, it's like I can feel the, the thickness of the air around me. I can kind of feel that vibe. It, we process things on so many levels in this human body that we don't necessarily talk about. So just, I would say it kind of like that when I mentioned energy in this room and dropping in and things like this. It's, it's really just about feeling in this moment and just trying to be present with what's there, okay? So depending on the vibe, depending on what's going on, that would kind of dictate how I personally lead the group. Sometimes um, if I feel that we're a little bit like restless and we're up here, I'll focus more on grounding things. Like I'll spend a little bit more time relaxing the body. I'll, I'll spend a little more time when we feel the grounds beneath us. So I'll do things where we have to get out of the mind and into the physical feelings, right, for instance, and then really wait, 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 feel the vibe of the group and see when it feels like everything's starting to settle down and then I'll kind of shift over to feeling the breath, for instance, right? So kind of knowing where you're at is important and also, right, like, so if I just got in, like, a fight and I was really angry and stuff and I sat down here to meditate, I don't know how much good that would do me. Um, it's oftentimes definitely, you know, when you feel anger, when you feel an emotion come up, to separate yourself from that situation and then to process it, that's a really great thing to do. Um, I think it's, I don't know, one of the martial arts, I think it's Aikido. And the whole thing about Aikido, it's like learning how to fight without fighting. Right, it's learning that if like something comes up or someone's provoking you, you find a way to disarm the situation without having to actually even touch them. Ultimately, yeah, without even having to do anything. Um, so, when I feel that I get angry, and I can say very honestly that I used to be angry a lot, and I'm not angry that much anymore. I feel frustrated, I feel cranky, and things like this, but I don't feel anger in that same way anymore. And partially, it's because I realize that anger is a choice, right? Partially I've realized that anger is a choice, but also I've watched my anger enough that I know why I get angry, right? I've realized for myself personally why I ever get angry, and for me getting anger, anger it's like a protection, right? It's like a protection, we want to protect ourselves, right? We want to either break through something or 
something's unfair, not okay, like the anger comes out, like we want to get away, push that thing away, we're angry at somebody, someone hurt us, we want to push it away. So anger as a function often has to do with trying to protect ourselves, right? And when I kind of really looked at that, I've seen more clearly, well, what are maybe more skillful ways I can protect myself? How do I use that same energy of the anger, but maybe set boundaries with people, with my voice? Yeah, how do I stop situations that aren't okay in the moment that they're happening through my understanding, through my feeling that something feels not okay, I'm going to speak it out and I'm going to nip it in the bud. I'm going to stop the anger before it can even start, right? Using that same energy that comes up, but acting on it right away. Um, you know, if something feels unfair or unjust, I can even say like that feels really unfair. You know, that's unfair. I don't want to be a part of that or that's not okay. You're going to have to do better than that. You know, I, I oftentimes when I go on flights, you know, and I have a flight and they're like, oh, sorry, you know, I booked an aisle seat or whatever, but they only have the middle seat. And I'll say to them, like, I'm sorry, but I booked an aisle seat. And they're like, well, we don't have any seats left. And I said, well, you're going to have to figure that out. You know, and I see other people getting angry and kind of yelling and stuff. And I just sit there and say, no, like, this is your problem. You're going to figure it out. Use that same energy and just hold it as a boundary. You know, I don't have to get angry. I don't need to blame anybody. I don't need to, you know, burn inside. I can just hold that with the same kind of passion, but just hold a boundary. Um, I've also seen that sometimes anger, people feel angry because they take on a victim mentality. Yeah, oftentimes we drop into the poor me, or they did this, or you did this to me, right? I'm suffering, like this whole like poor me thing. And there's a lot of victimization that we do to ourselves. We create stories around situations that we play the victim then to, and then we react with anger. And I, for myself, have really looked closely and seen throughout my life how often am I truly the victim of a situation or how much do I actually have a role in it as well? And I could also take my responsibility for that. And there's very few times that I could honestly say I was like a pure victim to a situation. Um, and maybe things from like childhood or something that's like there's really like nothing you could have done and this is like totally not okay and unfair. And then simultaneously it's like that anger comes out because because we remember what happened, we feel that hurt, and then that anger comes because it wants to protect us. But the thing is, the situation's already over. So you have to also then re-examine those things and try to understand why they happened, what they were about, and find your way to resolve them. Maybe that means talking to somebody. I can tell you, when I was a monk you know, for eight years, um, when I'd speak to my parents or I'd write them letters and things, it would very often be like, I need to talk about this thing that happened. I need to resolve this with you guys. I need to, you know, working through situations and themes, kind of this back work, right? Going through everything and resolving, 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 resolving to free up my energy, right? Each one of those situations I resolved, I was able to reclaim that energy in myself. And to the point that because I resolved all the stuff from my past, if I'm you know, hanging out with my mom and she does something that back then I would have just kept inside and then made me angry, I speak it out in the moment and stop it or I speak what I actually want or don't want so I don't let it manifest as anger, right? I don't let myself get hurt. I learned how to protect myself by acting accordingly. So this is like an emotional intelligence <coughs> exercise 
that unfortunately, you know, we don't learn when we're like in third grade, you know, we learn maybe when we're like 63 instead of, you know, and or not even, right? There's a lot of people and you see it a lot. You see, I see when I'm driving, I see just how people react around me and stuff. And, and oftentimes I just look at people, even my friends who are, I feel that I hang out with very kind of spiritual and like evolved people as much as possible, so to say, people that are going for it. And even within my friends, I often look at them and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, for what? What does this actually gain? You know, anger feels strong. You feel it gives you a sense of control also. But so if you ever feel that way, it's definitely good to separate yourself, sit, reflect, think, feel, go for a walk, definitely get outside. I found that it's really hard to stay angry long when you're like just out in the woods for an extended period of time. Eventually it just starts to process, right? Um, so yeah, so sitting meditation is not always the answer. That's what we're teaching here, right? We're talking about sitting. Um, sitting meditation is a great way to kind of drop in, to reset, to balance the mind, to go deeper into the mind, to kind of open up some spaciousness within the mind. So I would say that because I meditate and because I've learned to kind of watch things as they arise and identify them right away, it helps me in my daily life, like when anger situations come up that I need to, you know, I want to deal with. It's created kind of like a clarity and a focus and a space and a calmness that I can look at things and respond to them versus react to them, right? So, let's see. So, as far as, um, you know, the right times to meditate, like I was saying, I would say that you know, if you're tired, it's still an okay time to meditate. If you're a little bit off or very off, if something has just happened to you. Um, I often feel that when I meditate, it really helps me process everything. And it feels like it's super healthy for the brain. It's really healthy for the mind because you're really just sitting and dropping in with it on a level that's beyond speech, a level that's outside of the sensory world on a level that's outside of logical kind of linear ways of doing things and analysis and all of this. And it really just allows the mind to kind of just feel itself out and rebalance. So I found that there's, personally, I've never felt like a bad time to meditate. Um, and just realizing that meditating in different conditions brings different results. Um, but I would never, yeah. So I would say that it's still a good time to meditate even if something just happened. Or, um, question. Dropping. You got me. Gotcha. Um, so I think all that's left then is kind of breaking habits and things like this, right? So I would say that um, if you really, really want to break a habit, probably go to a Tony Robbins event. <laughs> He's pretty good at that. Um, so Breaking habits, there's a couple different things that are involved in that. One thing is, and without knowing exactly what we're talking about, I'll kind of just be general, um, but we have to look at what we're getting from this habit. Like when I went to this Tony Robbins event a couple weeks ago, there was a woman who stood up, and it was a very interesting story. She was the Uber driver of one of the guests. And he actually had an extra ticket, and they were talking in the car, and he's like, why don't you come to Tony Robbins with me? So she came, and it ended up that she stood up, and she had got the microphone, and he was like, she was, he had like an intervention with her, and it was this amazing thing, and everyone was like kind of like clapping, and I was like, wow. 
and um, she had an addiction to gambling, you know, and they used that as the intervention points. And Tony said, well, if you look at what are the basic human needs or human values, I guess you could say, right? So the basic human values, six of them, he said, is that there's certainty, uncertainty, significance, love and connection, growth and contribution. Those are the six values. And he said, you know, what you're doing with your gambling is you're actually trying to fill your uncertainty need. And that's also why you're here at this event, why you just agreed on a whim to come to the sing and then you wanted to stand up at the microphone, right? Because you really like uncertainty. And there's nothing wrong with that. So to express your uncertainty need through gambling is harmful, but you can maybe get that same kind of need filled through going on adventures more, traveling more, talking to new people, that there's a lot of different ways to kind of get that same thing that you want. And I think that's a really interesting point is to look, what is this need actually giving? What is this habit, this thing that I'm doing, what is it actually giving me? And how do I get that same feeling in a different way? Um, one of the other things that we did is to really look at what are the limiting thoughts and the thought structures and the beliefs that are keeping us doing the same things again and again. And when you feel, and he did this cool exercise where it was like you feel, um, um, say, you know, I, I watch uh, Netflix all day and I don't do anything and I just lay around and I want to go to the gym and meditate and go running and eat good food. but. Just sitting around watching Netflix all day, and then I'll, you know, just go and eat McDonald's, and then I'll just feel tired, and I'll have a headache, so I'll just go back to sleep, and then I'll get frustrated, and I'll yell at everybody, right? And so I've created this whole kind of like monstrous cycle. And if I really looked at it, it's like, well, what am I doing? And it's like, well, I want to feel kind of comfortable and happy, but I'm actually creating like this cranky, irritated, miserable person. And if I can identify that, like, okay, I'm actually feeling cranky and irritable all the time. And then Tony would be like, well, like, what does that feel like? Feel that in the body. Like, how does it feel? Like, what is the result of this thing that you keep doing? What does that feel like to you? And it's like, it feels pretty shitty. And he's like, yeah. Now imagine that you don't change for a year. How would that feel? Like, how bad does that get? And it's like, okay, now that feels like even worse. What if you don't change that for five years, for 10 years? Look at yourself in the mirror in 10 years. You know, what would you say to yourself? You know, and it'd be like, wake the fuck up. Like, stop it. You know, um, I want to be happy. I don't want to do this. So this is part of the, uh, what is it, the, the uh, neuroassociative conditioning where something that your mind associates pleasure and happiness to, like someone who's like a smoker, they associate the happiness to the cigarettes. He, you know, would give them 10 cartons of cigarettes and make them smoke all of them until they're like screaming, like, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And he'd be like, great, you're done, you know, that you have to actually show yourself that what you're doing is painful. And you have to really let yourself get into that and show it and hold it up in your face that you yourself say, I don't want this, that you yourself have to associate pain with it to the place that you say, I do not want to go that way. And then you feel like how freeing and happy it is to not be doing that anymore. And also to see what it is that you want to be doing and to put energy there and start doing it. Uh, really great to get uh, like a coach or like a guide or, um, you know, like if somebody wanted to meditate, you would come to a meditation class once a week because like now I'm here and you have to come and sit here and it, it kind of gives you that leg up, right? If you want to go to the gym, like maybe go to classes. You know, if you can't get there by yourself, like schedule yourself for classes and like schedule them in. So like you kind of have to go because you already scheduled and paid for it. And you're like, okay, now I have to go. 
So finding also allowing people to support you and finding people who are already doing it and like connecting into their energy and asking them how they do it or do it with them or things like this. Um, so again, without having the details, like little things like that, I've found success in and they seem to work. And uh, I guess since I answered all the questions, so I also then as this is like the second to last class, the big one today. Um, so I was just listening to a talk from one of my teachers, Achim Brahm, on the way here. And it was really beautiful. And he was talking about the practice of the breath meditation called Anapanasati in Pali. So Anapana, so Ana means like in-breath, Pana means out-breath, Sati, it's recollection. So, it's a, so Pali, it's like a language close to Sanskrit. It's from the time of the Buddha, so similar to the language he would have taught. I'm using similar terminologies. So the word they use for sati, which these days would mean mindfulness, is actually, it means to recollect or remember. They used it as the faculty of mem memory. So if you think about it, when you're meditating and your mind goes off into another place, what, how does it come back? It's almost like the mind remembers the present moment. Yeah, it remembers. And then you remember you're meditating. You remember that you're breathing. Right? So you have like these different little faculties in your mind that kind of take the mind and put it back to where you left it. And then it puts it there. And then the mind eventually goes off by itself. And then, oh yeah, and then it kind of remembers. So this recollection of the breathing. So this is the method that I've been teaching you guys too, which is really just relaxing and then just feel the breath. And there's nothing else to it, actually. That method that's complete in that sense Except what happens then as you're doing that is that your mind eventually starts to rest there by itself. It starts to kind of coalesce and collect around that breathing. Um, you start to feel it on a finer level, so to say. And then also everything else starts to fade away. And then it starts to feel really great, really peaceful, blissful, joyful. And then kind of the mind completely drops in with itself. And it kind of takes you on a ride from that point. But... You know, I, I don't talk about that too much because a lot of us are still like up here, like, okay, like I, you know, I'm still trying to like sit still and my back hurts and you're talking about, you know, going on this mental ride or whatever. Um, but something that he mentioned, which was really cool, is again, using poly terminology. Um, he said, uh, Sukino chitam samadhi yati. And sukino is from the word sukha, which means like happiness. So the word for suffering and like pain and all this, it's dukkha. They talk about this a lot in Buddhism, like suffering, suffering, right? Dukkha. So the opposite of dukkha is sukha, right? So if any of you have ever done a yoga class, sometimes at the end they'll say, you know, loka samasta sukino bhavantu, which is like may all beings in all realms be happy, kind of like this. Um, so sukha is happy. Chitam, chitta, it's the word for the mind. Right, or the mind, you could even say it here, right? So happy mind, chitam samadhi So samadhi is actually what we're doing. Samadhi, it's like the absorption, the concentration of the mind. Meditation, you could even call it. So what this is actually saying is that a happy mind concentrates, right? Or uh, the mind of the happy one is concentrated, you know, but both the same meaning. And happy meaning like, easygoing, well, like a sense of well-being, I guess we can say, right? Because there's the happiness of like excitement of like, ah, and you can go to a club and you're like, oh, this is the best night ever, right? But it's, you know, your mind is like all over the place through all the senses and stuff, right? And you're happy, but 
actually that's part of it because you're present but you're through all the senses. But imagine if you could take that like happiness that you feel in like an amazing kind of moment with all the stuff going on and instead of channeling that out through your senses or into the story surrounding it, you channeled all that energy just directly into the mind itself. Yeah, so the mind itself, you know, and if you're, um, you know, we have a, a little dog at home and it's funny, you know, he's a pet, he's our pet, and if you think about the word pet, it's because you pet them, right? We just kind of figured that out, like, oh, that's why you call it a pet, because you're petting it. So it's your pet, you think you pet, right? And why do you pet something? It's because it feels nice. It's like soft and warm, right? So it's just that feeling of petting something. It's like, oh, that's nice, you're petting, you know? But what happens is like when that feels good, you're right there with it, you know? It feels good, your mind is happy, so you're totally present. So. I think a lot of people actually really love their pets and love having pets, yeah, because we bond and there's this being. But for a lot of people, it's maybe like a point in the day where you really just drop in in a really nice way with something um, and you're present with it. You're not kind of like jumping all over the place. You're kind of just there petting because it feels nice to pet, right? And if you kind of look at the different things in your life, that make you feel good, you'll notice that your mind is really present with them when it's happening, when you're there. Conversely, you'll notice if there's something that you really don't want, if there's something you're really angry at, if you're like afraid of something, your mind is present, but if you look at the quality of your mind in that moment, it's kind of scattered and broken and running. Um, they say it's like, you know, if you can imagine like a garbage can with flies buzzing around it, Right? It's like that when we have like a negative or a painful or difficult mindset, our thoughts just spin around it. Right? I never think as much as when I'm angry or when I'm hurt or when I'm afraid. The thoughts just trying to figure it out, trying to control it, trying to get the answer, blaming, no this, no that. Right? The mind's going nuts. So you're feeling the anger, but you also have this incredible aversion to the present moment. Right? And so it's kind of this like ripping apart that happens. It's really difficult for all of us. But minds that naturally feel really pleasant in situations that are really easeful, the mind is just there. Like when you're sitting at the beach, if you're ever like watching a sunset or you're in nature, when you're in like meditation class, hopefully, and you're just kind of like, ah. You know, and that feeling that I can just put everything down and just be here. And you know, a lot of us have our roles um, in our lives, we have partners, or we have kids, or we have our jobs, or, you know, we have all these things we have to do, and we have our phones that we're always looking at and scrolling through, and we have to answer stuff and answer to people, and it's kind of like frustrating and difficult and all these things. We have financial things, we have to go shopping, and there's all these, you know, taxes and car insurance and kind of this whole, you know, world of crap that we have to deal with constantly, and it's never ending, and it won't end until you die, and then probably something else will happen. Um, <laughs> But when we meditate in this space, just in this little space right here, we're leaving all that other stuff to the side, right? We are secluding ourselves from the world. This is why I went to a monastery, right? You seclude yourself from all that stuff to really be able to sit and focus and to be with yourself and to kind of lick your wounds a little bit, first of all, but then also to really kind of grow and get stronger and get ready to go and face that stuff in a way that it's not going to touch you. Right? But on top of that, you really need to have a secluded space to be able to drop in, to be able to really go deeply. You can't be talking to people. Talking is the enemy of meditation, actually. I love talking myself, but 
talking, music, things like this, that's the enemy of meditation. You're stimulating your mind, you're training your mind to be moving, to be kind of in dialogue and stuff. And when you go on like a silent meditation retreat, you know, eventually the chatter just starts to stop and stop and stop. And I know for myself also, it's actually scientifically proven now that when you meditate, um, it's not that your brain is like more active, right? We'd think maybe like we, we meditate, so we're like shining, right? So it's like we're, our brain's more like activated. They've actually done studies that when you meditate, it's the opposite, that your brain actually decreases, that whole sections of your brain stop. Yeah, including the part of your brain, I don't know if it's the hippocampus, but the part of your brain that's responsible for spatial relations kind of stops, the part of your brain that's responsible for speech kind of stops, right? So spatial relations, that's why when you're deep in meditation, like you just feel like you're floating in this kind of space suddenly because you don't have spatial relations anymore. And also speech. I know for myself, after I've meditated and I come out, I'm like, blah, blah. Like it takes me a while to kind of get moving again, right? Because that part shuts off. So when we seclude ourselves from our lives, we come into this room. Ah, now I have this space to really drop in but you have to then also seclude yourself inside because it's really easy then to say, okay, great, I left all that stuff behind and now I'm going to close my eyes, but then you start thinking about all that stuff. Like you're still connected by cords to it, right? You're still, and you know, sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes like the only time of the day that we actually have to think about like our situation is when we're not in it, is when we're meditating or when you're in the car. Um, I go on vacations many times a year, but my vacations are not like places that I go just to party and have a great time. Every time I go on vacation, I make sure that I go to places that I feel are very powerful, um, places that are known to be spiritual or places that just have some element that are going to help me connect to a feeling of wholeness, well-being and power in myself. And then from vacations, I always look back at my life in Boston and reflect on it and use that time to see how am I doing? Yeah, do I want to keep going the direction I'm going in or do I want to shift something, right? And you can only really see that when you're out of it. Otherwise, it's like you're standing on the top of a tower and you're looking over the side and you can't really see everything. But if you could get onto the, the neighboring tower, then you could look back and you could see that entire tower. You could see every floor of it, right? Because when we get a different perspective, then we can see it in its kind of wholeness. So it's really important to find that time to seclude, to get away from our lives, to get away from it all, but not just to get away from it all, to be like, ah, and then go back into it all. And it's like, what did that do for you? You recharged a little bit, but there's a lot more you could do. It's like you can look back and say, you know, what is this? Why am I doing this? What here do I want to shift? What do I want to bring in? What works, what doesn't work? So that's why things like retreats and workshops and, you know, whatever, also amazing. Um, but even like a weekly meditation class, right? Or even just a meditation, it gives you that point outside of your daily life, outside of the movement, outside of the story, to really just be present, be with yourself, feel, drop in. And then when you reinsert yourself, you have actually a sense of what do I actually want to do and create? Um, when I was in Plum Village at Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery in France, they have clocks in their dining area. Uh, every 15 minutes, the clock chimes. And if you hear a chime in Plum Village, you have to stop and you have to take three breaths and then you can continue. 
right? So we made a joke that's like, you know, how do you stop a monk from chasing you as you ring a bell? Because then he'd be like, oh, and you have to stop and breathe, you know, and you can run away. Um, so I remember that I was there and I was on cleaning duty. So after the meal, I was cleaning with a couple monks and a monk came over to me and we just started chatting and, um, and it was a really nice chat. And then the bell rang and we both were just in mid conversation. We were looking at each other and we just dropped our hands and we started breathing and we came back to ourselves. And then we looked up at each other and smiled and then just walked away because we just naturally felt actually the conversation is over and actually we don't really even need to be talking or even necessarily want to be talking right now. It feels nice just to drop in and be peaceful, right? So just to have that moment, and that's why he does it, is because it breaks up the moments. You're breaking up your, your habit by having these alarms that go off every 15 minutes. It forces you to drop in and see, what am I doing? You know, and I don't want to do this. And then you kind of let it go and you go off into a direction that feels better. So that's a little bit kind of like what this is. That's why it's great to start your day with meditation because you really then start your day from like a firm foundation, from a place of you drop in fully with yourself, you feel where you're at, you feel how you're doing, what you want today, what's really in your best interest, kind of gather your resources, so to say, and then you start your day, right? So it's like we shower, we brush our hair, we brush, you know, I brush our teeth. You know, we, we do all this physical stuff to get ready. So also to prepare your mind, probably more important. Yeah. So to prepare your mind every day is really important as well. Um, so as we're sitting here and we're just relaxing and we're breathing and just knowing that a happy mind is a concentrated mind, that happiness brings meditation, um, you know, we have to find what is that balance, that I've left everything outside and I'm in here and how can I feel like okay right now, right? How do I find my kind of feeling of ease and well-being sitting in this room that I can drop in the meditation? And I had this pretty amazing realization the other day. Um, this is the first time that I'm like sharing it, so you guys are really lucky, okay? Um, so Tony Robbins was saying that to change your state, you have to change your physiology and your focus and your language around what's happening. That's his like pyramid or whatever. So I was in a conversation with somebody and they said something and I felt like it was like an attack or it was like an attack. And I felt like a triggered feeling in me, like my chest got tight and I was like, almost wanted to like respond, you know? Um, but instead, I just kind of stopped and I breathed. And I remembered what Tony Robbins said. And I was like, okay, change your state. And I kind of just like shook out and I took some deep breaths. And I realized that in that moment, we were like in a conflict, I guess I could say. But I realized that that conflict was only existing within our bodily sensations. Okay? So I just want you all just to think about that for a second. The conflict was only in existence through our bodily sensations. Meaning, if there was like a tiger in front of me in the room, I could be relaxed, or I could be excited, or I could not see it, and it doesn't change the fact that that tiger is right there. And that's like an actual problem, right? Potentially, I've heard actually stories from monks that they've been really relaxed and tigers just like leave them alone, right? Interestingly enough, but anyway, but it's like a real thing. 
if there's an interpersonal thing happening, it only exists in as much as we are keeping it in, in existence together, right? Interpersonal conflict, it takes two. It takes two to keep it alive. And if you look at how is it being kept alive, there's like a story about what's going on and there's feelings, but how do you feel your feelings? Through your bodily sensations. An emotion is actually a bodily sensation connected to a story. So if you, instead of holding the story, which keeps your bodily connection and then you feel this is what's going on, you will just drop the story. You just feel your body kind of doing its thing. If you relax your body, suddenly there's no more actual conflict. That just by releasing the tensions you feel in your body, and you're going to remember this, all of you, next time you're in a conflict in your life, you're going to, this is going to pop up. You're going to, it's going to come up. You're going to feel your body's like tense and hot and something. And you're going to realize, oh yeah, my body is just in this kind of response, reactive phase. Relax my body, shake out, breathe, and you'll kind of see there's actually nothing happening. And because I did that, I just looked back at the person and I just was like, I just kind of didn't respond and I just left it there. And then a few minutes later, I started a different conversation. And eventually then they actually apologized to me. And I was like, yeah, it felt like you attacked me. And they're like, yeah, I did actually I was feeling like, like really tired and upset myself and it has nothing to do with you, you know? you know. So it just kind of like resolved itself just because I didn't let it plug in, right? I didn't take the other energetic side of that conflict. And that exists through the bodily sensations. So I want you all just to keep that in mind that the bodily sensations are what keeps something alive. And if you can relax, if you can change your state, if you can change your physiology, shake out, breathe, yeah, you'll actually see that everything else around you shifts as well. So as you're sitting here in meditation today, and if you start to feel restless, if you start to feel like we're sitting and you're like, oh, I kind of want to get up, or like, oh, I don't know, you know, whatever, the, the normal restlessness feelings, same kind of deal. If you feel restless, if you feel like doubt, if you feel anything, drop in with your body and notice, oh, it's just my body sensations. Feel where you're feeling tightness. Feel where you're feeling heat. Feel where there's tingling. Breathe into it. Relax it. Release it. Don't listen to the story about it. Just relax the actual physical sensations that are happening, and it'll completely shift everything. Because most of our problems are just problems because we're resisting them. We're pushing them away. We don't want them. And that's what gives them power and keeps them alive. Mm -hmm. If we were able to welcome, embrace, go into them, feel them, then they're really just there. Then anger, it's just burning. Pain in the leg. Yeah, during these long meditation retreats, I sit for 100 hours over the course of a week. Yeah, amazing pain in the leg and the back and things. But then I just feel into that pain. What is pain actually? It's like a heat and kind of like a rippling feeling and like a pulsing. And then it's like, what, so what's actually the big deal? Why is pain so scary? Why do I need to keep adjusting my legs every two seconds? It's just heat and rippling and pulsing. That's fine. And then I kind of zoom out and it's pain. And I zoom back in and it's just heat and rippling and pulsing. So really through examining things, we also start to gain freedom from them because we're not afraid of them anymore. Yeah, so really using the ability to examine things, to look into them, to feel them, to come back out. Yeah, this is all part of it, that you're slowly kind of like cutting loose 
right? All these chains that bind us, that we're prisoners in our mind, prisoners in our lives, prisoners to our emotions, right? You're starting to cut yourself loose, cut these chains off of yourself, right? And then slowly, that's, this is the path to finding that freedom that you feel pretty well, well-being in all situations, right? And that's kind of the whole direction that we're going here. So for the meditation today, again, if you feel anything going on, drop in on the physical level. Breathe into it, release it, relax it, come back. But let's also really just stay with the breath, right? Just use the breath as your object. And if the mind comes in, if thoughts come in, just simply you'll just notice that's happening and you're just going to bring it right back to the breath and just rest it there. Just rest it on the breathing. Know if you're breathing in or if you're breathing out. I'll keep it that simple. And don't say in your mind, like, in, out, in, out. You, know, you don't have to do that. But just know, am I breathing in or am I breathing out? Experience it. Like, if you wave your hand, you know you're waving. Right? Everyone wave at me right now. Right? So you're not saying to yourself, like, waving, waving, waving. Right? You know that you're waving, right? So just know when you're breathing in, know when you're breathing out. And that's enough. And let's just try to stay just like that for the whole meditation today. Okay? So I think um, because this is the big class today, because next class is our last class, um, we'll sit for, let's say, 35 minutes. So we'll do the biggest sit ever (laughs) for this class. Biggest sit ever. And I'll even set an alarm on my phone so even I don't have to look at the time. So I'll just do the biggest sit ever with you. Okay? And we'll see what happens.